Welcome to another episode of Fight the Burnout. Uh, here at Fight the Burnout, we interview current retired uh, law enforcement uh, and first responders, military, so that we can talk about burnout in that high stressful area. Uh, I always say at the start and also at the finish, take one thing away from today. We are in an information world where there's so much information out there. Everybody is talking a lot of the same stuff but nobody's actually taking it into action. As law enforcement, we have to be vigilant on what we do to take care of our minds, our bodies, and our souls. Uh, today, we have a special guest, uh, Francine Bradley Arthur. Uh, she is a retired Navajo Nation uh, police officer. Uh, she retired in 2009 at the rank of lieutenant, which back then was quite rare for a female uh, to be of that rank uh, um, on the, on the, in the Navajo Nation. She's going to tell us all about that. I'm sure I botched something up here, but uh, take one thing away today, guys. And without further ado, Francine, why don't you take it away? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your policing career up till, you know, things that you went through uh, and we'll talk burnout. We'll talk about how to, how to prevent it, how to overcome it. And um, yeah, what you're doing now. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Chris. And thank you for inviting me um, to your show. I just came across it on LinkedIn and I thought, wow, this is really cool. Um, I, my husband says, go for it, do it. <laughs> so I said, okay, let's do this. But my name is Francine Bradley Arthur Yate. Um, I am a Navajo, a Native American from Arizona. My clans are Todichitni, Kiaani, Sanjakin, and Eshin. And that's how we introduce ourselves as Native Americans on the Navajo reservation. And my first clan is my mom, which is who I'm born for, or two, Form four, I always get this mixed up. And then I'm born to my dad. And then we include our um, mom's dad, which is the third clan, and then our dad's dad. And that's our lineage. That's how it goes in our our um, culture as a matrilineal lineage. We do have a mother and father, but we they have roles. So a woman woman's role is the family, taking care of the home, the family, you know, bringing the children, um, giving birth, um, and keeping the family together, and keeping the family um, in, a, in a good way, try to keep the family in a good way. Uh, you know, back then when I was growing up, we had a mom and dad. I had a mom and dad who had that whole family, and I did have rough times growing up. Excuse me. My mom and dad were alcoholics. Um, I lived on a reservation my whole life. I don't speak Navajo, and it's not because I don't want to, but my grandma, my mom's mom, she told my mom, this is this is the wisdom of the elders. And my mom's mom told my mom, speak English to your kids, because way over there, which is now and beyond, they're going to have to learn how to deal with the white man and learn how to work with them and live with them and be, you know, a part of the outside world. Because our reservation is, it encompasses 27, little over 27,000 square miles. So it's mostly in the state of Arizona, but it runs into New Mexico, up into Utah, and a little bit into Colorado. So we're like in the four corner states. So we, um, we have, the last census said we had about 400,000 Navajos. Maybe about 100,000 of them live off the reservation and about 300,000 live on the reservation. So where I live is what they call the capital of the Navajo Nation, which is Windorock. And 
I grew up with two parents, but I grew up, you know, rough. Sometimes we had no electricity. Sometimes I didn't know where my mom and dad were. Um, I grew up with two older brothers and an older sister. Well, three older brothers. We lost one older sister, so I'm the youngest. But we were always also taught, go get an education. Go beyond, my mom would always say, do things beyond your hand. Go out there and visit the world. Go out and see other people and learn other things. And back then it was go get an education because that's what will make, will help you to be successful. And then come back. She says, always come back because your home is between the four sacred mountains. And you go out there and learn, see other people, learn about other cultures and all these things and bring it back and teach us and, you know, have that experience and give it to others. It's very smart. That's what we're doing here on the podcast. We're taking the knowledge from from people that have been there and done it and, you know, teaching it, teaching it to those that are coming up behind us. Yes. Yes. And I have, um, I, I, I am a statistic. When I went to the police Academy, they said, when you become a police officer, you're going to be a statistic. Doesn't matter. You will be a statistic. You're like the fourth it's person a- that's, that that said that said that to me. It's like, yeah, back in the eighties and you know nineties, even you know even up into the early two thousands. Like, yeah, you know, you'll probably end up an alcoholic. You'll probably end up in some sort of addiction, <laughs> divorce. You know, you know, this is the numbers that we have. And the sad thing is, nothing's changed. It's still the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's what really floored me when I was in the police academy. I was like, wow, I'm going to be a statistic. So. But the, so that's how I grew up and I graduated from high school and fast forward, went to college, did go to college, got my degree in criminal justice and police administration. And then when I got, I wanted to be a lawyer. That was my first, first objective. But then when I got, couldn't, there was no law classes, not enough students for law classes. So I went into criminal justice and I learned in my criminal justice class, introduction to um, police administration, that in America, if you had a good enough lawyer, you could get away with murder in yep. the United States. And I thought, wow, that's really, really powerful and interesting. So I thought, wow, I'm going to learn something, some really cool stuff here. And I did. And I graduated. And when I graduated, I told my dad, I said, I want to be a cop. I want to be a nomination police officer. And my mom said, no. My mom was like, no way, because we come from a law enforcement family. My dad was the first nomination ranger. Um, my mom was a judge, my brother-in-law, my, my sister's husband, second husband, he was a police officer. And my brother, my second oldest brother became a police officer. My um, oldest brother became a police officer. My nephew is a police officer. Wow. <laughs> and the then it was family. me. Yeah. Yeah. So then it was, then there was me graduating from college and I told my dad, I want to be a cop. And then he, he's like, yeah, I'll go for it. My mom was like, no way. And then my dad told my mom, I always remember this. And he's telling me, he goes, I told your mom, let her do it. Let her do. Excuse me. Let her do what she wants to do. Let her do it. So I went home and I didn't realize how, what I was getting myself into. Honestly, I didn't. I grew up as a baby of the family. I never, I only fought with my brothers, only, you know, got into entanglements with them. Um, I was always the shy kid who sat in the back of the classroom, never volunteered for anything, 
never in the I was just that that time I was an introvert so I didn't know what I was getting myself into big, big even chain. though I had yeah yeah so even though I had brothers who were police officers but you know they had their own lives so I came home and I told my mom and dad I wanted to be a police officer so they said okay we're gonna we're gonna have a ceremony for you if that's what you really want to do, we're going to have a ceremony for you. So at the time, they just learned about the, what they call the Native American church. It's a it's a, a ceremony where you go into a teepee and you do praying and you do, you know, um, sit around the fireplace and you go through this different, um, different, um, I'm trying to think of a word, sections, I guess, throughout the night. You start from one and then you go all night into the morning and you pray to the fireplace and the holy ones what you want to do and where you want to go and what you want to be and you ask for protection you ask for that strength you ask for the resilience you know and protection and all of that stuff to take you to where you want to be so that's what they did for me and then a few months later my brother was a sergeant in um, Kanta and he says we're hiring and so I went in, I wasn't in any shape. <laughs> I don't run, I don't exercise, I don't do any of that stuff. And I was just coming out of college. So you know how college is, go yeah. in and have fun. Um, ha have a good time, enjoy your life. So I went in on a Monday morning. I, I remember these dates, but it was a February, February, probably the second week, third, maybe the third week of February in 1989. And I went in on Monday, applied, fill out the application. And then by Friday, they say, you're hired. You're going to the academy tomorrow morning, Saturday morning. And I'm like, what? That's a quick turnaround. <laughs> it sounds like the military, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's a quick turnaround. They obviously needed people. <laughs> yeah, they do did. that fast. They, yes. And I was like, Wow. I just blew my mind and I'm thinking, what am I? And they didn't give me no, they just did the background check and they just did the application paperwork. They didn't tell me I had to do a physical agility test. <laughs> oh. So, and at the time we didn't, um, they sent us to the Arizona Law Enforcement Training Academy. Yeah. So, you know, I got hired to be a police officer on my brother's birthday, February wow. 19th. Yeah, February 19, 1989. So I was like, wow, this is a sign. This is something good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I go to I go to the police academy with 10 other ca candidates. And I don't run. I don't exercise. Don't do push-ups. Don't do sit-ups. I'm like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? Being yelled at, told, get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, go to the gym, stand in formation. I'm like, what is this? So we did all that, and then we get to the, what is it, the sit-ups and the push-ups? Yep, yep. And this is a state-run police academy, mind you, and, you know, it's semi, what is it, semi-military? Yeah, paramilitary. Like, yeah, I'm like, what is this? You know, just taking everything in. Then we get to the sit-ups and the push-ups. I couldn't do the push-ups. And, and then they told us at the very beginning when we started, if you cannot pass, one of these areas you're gone we're sending you home 
That was the message that that was just the only thing that was in my head. In the back of your I'm head, it's home. ringing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna go home. I don't want to go home. <laughs> yes, it's like I think I'd rather be at home right now. But I'm thinking, man. And after I failed the push-ups, I'm like, I'm going home. I'm standing there at attention the best I could, and they chase everybody out of the gym except me. And I'm standing there at attention, thinking, oh shit. I'm going home. What is happening here? And then all the big wigs, the sergeants, the counselors, the captain, everybody was standing in the opposite corner of me. And I'm standing there still, as still as I can be, at attention, thinking, oh shit, what's going on? What are they talking about? And then the sergeant comes over. And just the lady, the female sergeant comes over and she says, Cadet Bradley. We don't ever do this, but they said, we're going to give you another chance. Mm. I'm like, what? I'm thinking, oh, shit, I better do it this time. Yeah, you better, <laughs> not, better not mess it up. <laughs> yeah, I better not mess it up. But they also gave me a reprieve. They let me do it, do the, oh, what is it? The modified push-up. Oh, okay. and they said yeah they said if I could do that I could stay if I could hit and that time it was at that time when you went through these physical agility tests it was by your age mm. so I was 25 at the time so I had to hit I don't remember how many maybe 30 push-ups or something like that between 25 30 push-ups yeah. and I'm like oh god I don't know but I just told myself just do it just yeah. do it they're giving you a second chance so did you have to do it right so then and there yeah. Yeah. So I got down, got down, and you could you had to do it in one minute. Yeah. And so I got down on my knees and just went for it. And then I got done. I passed. I'm like, wow. So they chased me out of the gym. I had to go to the slab. The next day was the mile and a half run. And I'm like, I'm gone. I'm dead. I don't run. I'm that not a runner. <laughs> <laughs> so trying to make this a long story short but you have to hear how I started my career because I think it's a motivator to yeah. other people who are thinking about it and think there's no way there's no way and this is how my mom used to teach me and say to me your mind is a very powerful tool your mind is very Most. powerful and if you how and if you really want something you will get it you're very passionate about it, motivated about it. You set your mind to it. You can do anything that you want to do. So I even, in a moment, even in a moment's notice, you know, it's like, you know, I know mm -hmm. you were able to do the modified push-ups, but even still, how many push-ups did you do when you did, um, when you were uh, part of the first time? Probably only about 10. Yeah. So 10 I mean, on, on, up on your toes, I take it or. Yeah. 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 yeah, so you're doing 10 mm -hmm. push-ups and then it was like, all of a sudden, okay, you need to be able to do, you need to do 30 modified push-ups. And it's like. 30 modified push-ups, if you're doing 10 normal push-ups, I mean, because this is what I, part of my business is training people on the physical, you know, uh, agility test. And it's uh -huh. 30, 30, 30 on your knees is still a lot. Like it's still, yes. it's still a decent yes. amount. And, and, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to just switch that on and just focus on it. It is like your mom said, it's, it's all about the mental state, how you, how you mentally prepare yourself is how you mentally achieve. So, yes. Yeah. And, and I was really surprised because they're really strict. And they told us in the very beginning that if you can't do this, any part that you cannot pass or you do not pass, you're out, you're yeah. gone. 
And I just kept thinking, God, I'm going to go home. I, I'm going to, I'm standing there at attention. And these people are, these big wigs are in the corner discussing me. Yeah. How'd you do on your <laughs> you mile know, and a half? Uh, yeah. How'd you do on the yeah. mile and a half? Did you pass it? Um, oh, that's, this is another exciting story. Okay. So we get to the mile and a half. Okay. And we start out and I understand that it's six laps. So I start out pretty good and they give you your time after every lap. The hat, the last two laps, I was dying. I'm like, no way, this is crazy. But there was 10 of us from the Navajo Nation who went down there and two sergeants, or one officer and one sergeant that um, accompanied us. So I'm getting, I'm on the last lap and I just want to die. I just want to fall over and say, this is, this is not for me. Forget it. Oh. I cannot do this. But, and I had just enough time. I probably only had maybe a minute little over a minute left in the time to make it excuse me so I get to half a mile half a lap left and I'm barely moving and my sergeant the sergeant and the officer they came running with me they told me everybody was done by this time I was the only one left and I'm thinking this is crazy and they come running with me and they say come on Bradley you can do it you have enough time to finish just come on they they made me run. They, they pushed you. Me, they pushed you. I yes, love it. They pushed me. And I made it over. You're going to freak out. This is something I never forget. I made it over the finish line one second to go. Yeah. I made it by one second. <laughs> <laughs> so you know you so you you're showing like on this, you know, you weren't giving up. You could have easily gone this fitness test is the uh, there's no way I'm going to pass this fitness test. But you yes. were like, I'm going for it. I'm giving everything I have. I'm here. I'm doing it. So obviously you graduated. Yes. And you went back to the Navajo Nation yeah. and started policing. How did all that transfer over yes. into, into your policing career? Um, It helped me because one of the things that in the police academy, it was Arizona State Academy. So we learned nothing about Arizona laws. Nothing like uh, nothing that had to do with Navajo Nation. Just the foundations of policing. So when I went back to the Navajo Nation, when I came back to the Navajo Nation, I had to learn Navajo Nation laws. I had to learn how things were, the laws of the Navajo Nation. And the only thing I knew, and at that time we didn't have, we also, the Navajo Nation Police Department at that time also did not have field training officers. So when I get back, I graduate on Friday, they give me the weekend off, I report to duty on Monday. I go to the second, the, the administrative assistant. She gives me my keys to my unit. She gives me 50 rounds of ammo. And back then we, back then I carried a 38, a Smith and Wesson 38. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good gun, very good gun that. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave me a box of ammo, gave me my keys and said, go patrol. Yeah, have fun. And I know, Kianta was new to me too. I mean, I moved from Canton when I was five years old and I had no idea. So I'm like, what? Seriously? And so I thought to myself, okay, how do I get through this? I got to find what is it? Probable cause and reasonable suspicion. That's what I use. Yeah. And then the other thing I used was I knew on the Navajo Nation, alcohol was illegal. Yeah. So that was my original suspicion. That was my probable cause. That was, and I learned, I learned the laws as I went along, disorderly conduct, possession of liquor, battery, assault, you know, all the traffic laws. And 
That's how, and nobody taught me. I had no field training officer. And the second day on the job, okay, first day was Monday. I got through that. Then I had two days off because I was audacious. And this was a time when there was turmoil within the Navajo Nation. Um, our president, the current president, our chairman, then they called them chairmen, was they were trying to take him out of office because of um, malfeasance. And so there was people that were supporting his supporters. They started a, a protest over here in Winderock. And I guess that happened either, I think it was, they were they were getting their stuff together Tuesday, Wednesday, probably. So they were gonna have this protest and they wanted extra officers over here in Winderock. So I lived about 70 miles away from Kanta in Tuba City. And I was single, no kids, not married. So I was living with my parents. And I guess they were trying to get a hold of me. And they were gonna send me over here to Winderock for that riot. And they could not get a hold of me. And uh, I get to work Thursday morning at seven o'clock in the morning. That riot, uh, well, the protest turned into a riot. And it, and a couple officers got shot, a couple of people got killed. It was a really big turmoil. And I get to work Sunday morning, it was just me and the dispatcher. And the dispatcher was my lieutenant, my sergeant, <laughs> my FTO. I took care of cancer for 12 hours that day by myself. Wow. That's how I learned to be a police officer. <laughs> That's crazy. That must have been like, obviously back then, you know, I know back in the 80s and the 80s, 90s, the mental, the mental health and that wasn't talked too much around, you know, the, the stress mm -hmm. side of stuff wasn't, and not like it is today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you're a female in a man's world, pretty much, you know, law enforcement, especially back yeah. then, definitely a man, a man's world still is a bit, yes. not, as, not as much. And mm -hmm. you're there, you don't know what you're doing, really. You know, mm -hmm. you've gone to academy, mm -hmm. you come out and you're like, uh, yeah, I have no idea what I'm arresting people for besides state law. Um, okay. And then I interviewed, you know, I interviewed an old, uh, an old, uh, uh, Indian, uh, chief, uh, uh, the other day, the last episode was, was interviewing him and he was talking about how, like, there's so many different things. Like it has to be, if it's a, if it's a, a native American on native American, then you can arrest them. If it's a native American on a white man oh, or yeah. a person, you can't like all these different things. And I was just like, <laughs> like, I can't even, my mind was blown. I was like, so you're trying to remember mm -hmm. all that stuff, get all that stress going on. How'd you deal with it? Like what happened? Did you, did, did, did you hit, like, did you fall off thing? Like what happened? Tell us around like kind of what you went through with all of that, like all that stress. How'd you work through it? How did it affect you? You know, when I think about it at that time, I was 25 and I really didn't have a lot of stress except working and driving back and forth to work and dealing with people and knowing how to deal with people. I think at that time for me, I really didn't think about it. You know what I mean? I really, I just went and did the job and knew that I had to do it to the best of my ability. And I had an oath to uphold and the integrity was very, and just doing the right thing. But the stress, um, I'm trying to remember, I did feel it. I think I did feel it, but I never talked about it. I go home, it was go home to my mom and dad, either be sleeping or at work. And I never really talked about it. The only person I talk about it with was my fellow officers are the dispatcher. 
the dispatcher, she is the one that just honestly got me through that whole day. She told me how to get from point A to point B. She, because we had a house fire, we had a car accident. I mean, everything that could happen to you happened to me that day. And I just went from A, B, C to going home and wanting to sleep. That's probably how I handled distress. Just wanting to get away and hoping and praying that, okay, when I come back in Friday morning, somebody else is going to be there with me. And I'm not going to have to do this alone. And thinking that, you know, wow, what did I just do? I I took care of this one police district that in any direction, it would take you an hour to two hours to get to somebody's home. And I did it all by myself. How did I do that? It blow. I think about it now, it blows my mind. And I think I probably got through it thanks to the prayers to my tenacity, to my dispatcher, to my dispatcher. And I didn't really, um, honestly, I really didn't think about it. I just thought, man, this is, the, this is the job I wanted to do and I gotta do a good job. And I think it wasn't until after I had my kids mm. is when it really got, and then when I started learning more, the, what the responsibilities were in dealing with the people and dealing with their their situations and seeing all the plight out there and all the things that my, my Navajo people were going through, okay. that I think is when it really started stressing me out. Because so what, there was, how, how far into the career was that, 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 you know, you started to recognize, oh, wait a second, actually, they're going through a lot. There's, you know, it's, it's more than just offenses. It's more than just arrests. It's actually the, the empath side of stuff. Like when, how far into the career do, do, do you feel that you started hitting that kind of stage of your life? It was probably after my son was born, maybe two years, three, three years into my career. Because my first two years, I just, I, what did that, how do you say it? I just hit the ground and went, and I ran yeah. and didn't think about anything. Because um, I also um, became a general instructor so I could train. And I was training at the police academy. Then I was doing the, the drug abuse resistance education program. I was going into the schools and I was, I was working almost 24 seven because only one sergeant, when I said, I want to teach the program and go into the schools, only one sergeant said, let her do it. The rest of them, my lieutenant and the other sergeants are like, hell no, you don't, we don't do that. Police officers don't do that. You don't go and teach. <laughs> so that was the what is it? Male chauvinism? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the being stuck and you stuck in their ways. And yeah, you, you see it a lot. You see it a lot in all areas, but you do see it a lot in law enforcement as well. All right. So you started teaching, yeah. you started teaching in the schools, you started doing that, you know, doing the program. Um, and then you had your son. Why do you feel like well, after yes. you had your son, it changed? Things changed. Like you started to see things differently. Because I had a conversation with him just recently, maybe a couple of years ago. He's 32 now. So he grew up with me in law enforcement and he told me that mom, you were a bad mom. You were never there for me. 
You were always mad when you came home. You were always upset about something. You were always working. You were never happy. I, I, you always got mad at me for something, for not doing something, for not washing dishes. Or you were always, you were always upset. And I was like, wow. And I thought about it. And that's when he's the one that made me really realize that, oh shit, my first five years of law enforcement or three years of law enforcement, I just killed it. And then when I had him, I wasn't there for him the way I should have been. Why do you think that and is? he let me know that. Because my parents were. My parents took care of him. I knew he was safe. I knew that he had my parents to take care of him, love him. And I did spend time. I started, I did after the second year. By the third year, that's when I started realizing I need to take my days off. I need to enjoy my days off and start spending time with my child and and spending time with my son and letting him know that he does have a mom so that's that's when that's probably why he came along <laughs> because otherwise i probably would have just kept i probably would have burnt out and i probably would have lasted to 20 years yeah no, what was it so how many years how old was he when you recognized that he was three, probably three years old, two, three years old. Uh, and yeah. did he, and he, and what was it that he said? He said that he, like the, your, his childhood, you weren't around. Yes. Did he say he says, Mom, until, what, until what age he reckoned you then started being around? Did he, has he mentioned? Honestly, that? it wasn't until he became an adult mm. when I was there full time because I worked all the way until he graduated from high school. Maybe a year after he graduated, a couple years after he graduated, that's when I retired. Yeah. So he he lived through 20 years of his mom not being there or being there part-time. Yeah. Why, why, mm -hmm. do you, why do you think it is that you... And I appreciate the, you know, the, the the vulnerability and the honesty here. I, I it's it's great for officers to recognize because, you know, I ran a few trainings uh, with departments in in the U.S. and I, you know, I run trainings with with officers and that. And the biggest thing is, is they they do it for the family or they do it for the for the job, and they forget about themselves. And normally, the job is the one that they fill the most with. They fill the tank the most, and the other two get depleted normally self is depleted completely last mm -hmm. so i'm curious you know back in the you know 90s and the early 2000s when you were when you were you know policing did you when you had your son did you think about how you needed to shift work at all or did you think about anything around like how work is gonna have to change because of family or was it just uh not that that part of my life stays the same and i'm just adding this in like just i'm just trying to i probably asked that wrong but no no i i understand what you're saying honestly no my police work didn't change mm. it it didn't change and i was still dedicated to it and i was there for my son as much as i could be yeah. and then um when he was about oh gosh how old was he seven eight years old i did meet someone in my oh wait let's see he's when i was 30 i was when i was in my 30s 
I mean, after five years, when he was like four or five years old, I did meet someone. And then I ended up with him for 10 years. And half that, during half those 10 years, we got married. And I had two more sons. I had two, I had two other sons. And that's where he stayed a lot with my grandparents. And I spent a lot of time with the, the ex-husband and my two boys, my other two boys. But it was when I think, honestly, you know, you, you're really making me think about things that I haven't thought about. Like this question you just asked me. Um, it wasn't until my dad died. That's when I realized that. And he, my son was eight years old, my oldest. And by then he had two little brothers. And that's when I realized that I need to do better. I need to stop making work more important than my life. Yeah. That's that's when it changed. It's amazing wow. when we when we lose someone. I like because if you think about it, like you said in the very beginning, you had your um and thank you for being so vulnerable. Um and 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 and, and opening up in this. I know it'll you know, listeners and viewers are you know, it'll it'll really help them because we we see this you know you you have kids of law enforcement families who either they are like i've got to do this so that i can change the way that it was from you know for me because my parents weren't around a lot or it was you know Mm -hmm. or they were grumpy or you know whatever it is or they just are like no to law enforcement like no not going anywhere near that because that did so much i know one lady who actually is coaching helping law enforcement so because she's got a dad who is a sergeant who is a who's in the police and she's like i have the she has the odd family experience when it comes to law enforcement like she's like my dad was at every sports game my dad was always around she's like i hear about kids that have parents that are law enforcement they're like they're never around she's like what are you guys talking about like my dad was i love it it was great (laughs) but yeah and so it's 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 but most of it is like you like you're explaining and so i'd love to know what would you recommend or what is your you know what can you look back on and go hey i could have had as much as, as good of a career actually no before i ask that question when you were home with your kids and your husband and that were you present or were you still thinking about work um by that time I was probably present yeah because I am during that time during those 10 years of being with um that person it was I had um we had a we had a bad relationship there was domestic violence and it um it was the first time I ever experienced that and you experience it on on duty and with other people and helping other people and I started going through this domestic violence with him and I didn't really honestly know what to do you know how how do I handle this what do I do and I knew that I needed to get away but it was hard it, it was hard so that's probably why I was present during those times because I had to deal with him and he didn't it was really uh, thinking about it now. It's like, wow, he really didn't. Honestly, he he like he didn't like me being a police officer. 
he used that against me when he would attack me. And he would tell me and yell at me, go ahead, use your police stuff on me. I don't care. Get your gun, shoot me, you know, do whatever you let me see how good of a bad of a police officer you are. Good police, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Uh, mean, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not doing nothing to, I'm not doing anything to ruin my career, but I know I needed to get out. And I came to visit my brothers one day and asked them to help me. My oldest brother is the one that really opened my eyes and he says, you know what? He goes, you can't do that. You cannot stay in that relationship and be in that relationship because you are being a hypocrite to your community. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now his, my brothers were totally honest with me. My other brother told me, it's, it's up to you. It's your problem. You deal with it. Wow, and and they're, they're both law enforcement how, as well. I. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and he was a chief of police at the time I think or captain and I get it I know why he said it because he was right he was right I, I'm the one that went into this eyes wide open and how do I deal with it how do I fix it how do I get away from this so the lot, when I finally decided to after 10 years it was my fellow police officers who came to my rescue but um and I never talked about it, never reported it, never told anybody. My family knew what was happening. But there was one last incident, and it was my oldest son that helped me open my eyes, and I realized that I can't do this anymore. And there was an incident where we were supposed to go to town or something, and he got mad, and he threw my son around. Then he, he came up behind me, and we had this fireplace um it was a, a metal stove fireplace with um, rocks around the bottom um and the edges were all sharp with the there were those red sandstone rocks yeah. and we were arguing and i lost i lost um sight of him and he came up behind me we were in the house and the kids were outside and the boys were outside and he came up behind me and he pushed me really, I mean, just full force. And I fell forward towards the fireplace and I probably came about maybe an inch from hitting my forehead on the edge of the stones. And that's when I was like, oh shit, this is enough is enough. This is so it's like, you see that movie? Have you ever seen that movie, Enough is Enough? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I had to do. I had to get away. So, and my sister was really mad at me. My mom was always worried about me. My dad was gone by then. And my mom wanted to rescue me, but she couldn't do it either. So it had to be me. So I planned it out and made a plan. And I always took spring break off to spend with my boys. Yeah. So it was coming up and I made a plan and my family helped me and I left and I never went back. Filed my divorce, got away and... I got my divorce on my 40th birthday and I also got promoted to sergeant. <laughs> well, I'm glad birthday. that you got promoted to sergeant and I'm glad you walked away from it and got out of it. Yeah. Two questions that two questions that I have for you, uh, friend, is one, what do you believe led to getting for you to, you know, end up in that kind of relationship? 
you know, law enforcement, we see them all the time. We can see the red <laughs> flags. We can see all of it from, from the outside perspective. But I do know, you know, like you said in the very beginning, law enforcement has is a statistic. We end, you know, end up with a divorce. Mm -hmm. I'm lucky I didn't. I even went through and asked for a divorce for my wife. And she ended up, you know, she's so strong. Like she's upstairs. She's so such a strong woman. And I, she, I'm alive well, definitely because of her. But I was an asshole as well. Mm -hmm. I'll full openly say it. You know, I was an asshole and I should, we should be divorced. But because she loves me so much, we're not because she could see the potential within me. Yeah. But why, why do you think that you ended up, you know, you, you, we see it, we know the, we know the alarm bells, we know the sites. Why do you believe that you ended up in that relationship or in it as long? Um, if you know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. He was the one that would come around and um, bug me. And I guess he noticed me before out in the community because sometimes I'd work in Canada or Tuba City. And um, I tried not to get involved with him. Didn't want anything to do with him when I first met him. And he ended up wearing me down and I ended up going out with him. And I did leave him and I ended up back with him. It's just a regular domestic but it wasn't so much that I, I think in the beginning, it wasn't so much that I had a lot of feelings for him. I just went along with it because he wouldn't go away. <laughs> he wouldn't go away. He wouldn't leave me alone. So I finally just went, you know, just fell for it. Yeah. And I did, did leave him halfway through because of that. And then we end up having our first son. Um, I just have, I just, it's just the whole, you know, that domestic violence cycle. That's how it was. And that's what kind of, um, I'm trying to think of a word. I don't want to say puzzle. I don't want to say puzzle. I guess the only one I can think of is it freaks me out that I knew the signs. I knew what I was going through because even at one point during that relationship, because he was very jealous and, possessive and envious and he would always say crap to me every time I want to go to training he would say oh you're going over there just to mess around with the the your fellow officers you know shit like that and I got that barrage every day yeah. and at one point we're traveling down the road this this is where I say when you ask me at the beginning is there no is there something you don't want to talk about I think it's important because I see myself as a survivor because of the things I went through. No. And I want all officers to know that no matter how low and how hard and how burnt out and how stressful life is, you can come out at the other end. Because I did. And there was one point where I just couldn't take it no more. Mm. You talk about burnout, you talk about stress, you talk about mental health. I just got to a point one day that I just kept hearing it, hearing it, hearing it. And I almost, we're driving down the road, he's probably going 55, 60 miles, 65 miles an hour. I almost, almost opened that door and jumped out of that truck almost what stopped you my son 
my sons. I could not let them be raised by him. I could not leave my kids. So I said, don't do it. Figure out a way out. Find a way out. How much longer after that did you end up leaving? I think it was maybe um maybe two years, a year. I don't actually I don't remember. It, the catalyst. It, it didn't take much now. Yeah, it didn't take much after that. But it but like I said, it had to be me. I had to do it. And then how I got out of it and also walked away was I don't know what I we had another incident and I I didn't call the police. I don't know what happened, how it happened. Somebody called the police and they said they had he had a gun. And all of a sudden I had all my fellow officers surround my house. Oh, you probably <laughs> felt like a big hug, didn't you? <laughs> yes. I'm like, why are they yes. here about having a big hug from the outside? <laughs> yes and I thought wow and I never told them yeah. I never told them so that saved me too and that's why to this day even after I was doing some math today and excuse me I was doing some math today about how many years when I started how many years ago was did I start my career and it's been like 34 years since I when I started law enforcement and then how many years I've been retired. And I thought, oh my God, that long. And I've been retired 14 years. Wow. wow. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's yeah. crazy. So I, I want, first off, I want to say thank you for like bringing a lot of this stuff up because as you just said, 14 years you've been retired. So a lot of it, you know, yeah, I'm sure you've gone to counseling, you've done things because, you know, we've had conversations out, outside of the interview. Uh, but mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it's, it is bringing a lot of different things up. You can tell, you know, your the emotions are coming, they're flowing. And it's amazing that you're not that you're that you're letting them go. And I also want to praise you as well, friend. And this goes for everybody. Not once have you said sorry for crying. The amount of people that I because... talk to start crying, and they say, Oh, I'm so sorry for crying. I, I praise you because yeah. you, you know, the power of you can tell you know, the power of letting those emotions flow and come out. And as law enforcement, oh my God, it's so important. Like I've gotten goosebumps yeah. so many times while you've been talking. It's like, I just <laughs> want to put that out there. Like it's, it's, it's to those officers <laughs> out there that are maybe in a, in a domestic or maybe they are, you know, well, yeah, maybe they're, alcoholism. you know, just alcoholism, yeah. their addictions, their, you know, you said mm -hmm. you, you know, you just about jumped out of the, out of the car for listeners and viewers that don't know, or I don't even know if you know, if I've told you. When I was at my darkest time, like burned out and like really hating life, I ride a motorcycle. I still do to this day. And I did back then. I would go out and I'd hit the twisty, windy roads. And when I say twisty, windy roads, they're like way twistier and way windier than anywhere in Arizona. Um, and I'd hit corners faster than I had the experience for. And I'd accidentally, I'd end up on the other side of the road and I'd have just to feel something. I didn't want to yeah. die, but I didn't care if I died. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. a very, very scary place to be in. It is. It is. And you wonder who, how can you get out of it? How can you get away from it? And the things that saved me was my traditional ceremonies, my prayers, going to the medicine man and praying to the fireplace and asking for help 
and crying and letting them the fireplace know that I need help. You know, give me and give me the strength to walk away. Give me the strength to continue to go on every day and do what I do because I love, I mean, I think about it now and I still do. I love being a police officer. It was my life. It was, I, I did, I always would tell my, when I became a sergeant, I would tell my crew, I'm going to teach you everything I know because I'm not going to be here forever. Someday I'm going to retire and I want you to carry on what I do and what I know because I love my job. I loved what I did. And there was times in my career when you talk about the dark side, <laughs> that's what happened to me too in my career. It was after I got divorced and everything had gone on and all the, and you talk about recognizing burnout or stress and stuff. At the time I didn't, I, I got that way too. I don't care. I don't give, I don't give a shit. There was, I was following this car one night on night shift and, um, there was, we had a curfew and, you know, after midnight, that's when everybody gets crazy. So I, I'm behind this car. I don't have my lights on bright or anything. I'm just following it. And here comes the fingers in the rear view window. <laughs> so like, and I'm like, fuck it. So I pull them over. What the hell are you doing? And then they're like, well, your lights are on bright. You know, they're like, giving me shit. And so it's like, you know what? Fuck you. Just go home. And I didn't care. I didn't care how I talked to them. I didn't care if I was nice or not. I was just like, you know what? You don't do that shit to me. I'm the one out here protecting you and you don't be running around after midnight. Get your ass home. And I, and I never used to talk that way. I never talked that way. And then there was another time when there was um, a lady um, who got killed. It was a, a, I just happened to be working as a sergeant on duty and we got a call of a fight in progress or domestic violence. And it was a man and a woman and the husband ended up killing his wife, shooting his wife. And I happened to be the first one on the scene and I put my gloves on and everything. And she, she had, she was, she was dying. I think she was already brain dead, but she was still breathing. So yeah, she had that raspy, raspy yeah. breath. So I had to check if she still had a heartbeat. I put my gloves on and everything. And I checked her, her heartbeat on her, and she was her heart was still beating, but um, and he was gone already, and I had to call the ambulance, and they came. Then we had to go on a manhunt for him because he ran off and all this shit. And from that point to maybe I I honestly don't remember how long, maybe a year. That's when I went into the dark side mm. because I after that. I just felt really, I mean, just really, how is it, a heaviness, a heaviness that I didn't know where it came from, didn't know what it was. I just knew that it made me feel crappy. Mm. I, I just, it's just like, oh, just really dark feeling. And I went to another call a few months, a few weeks after that. And it was another fight between a husband and a wife. And she wanted to commit suicide and her husband know what to do. He'd call this. I, I ended up going on the call and I went in there and I talked to them, talked to her. And we don't really have like mental health people on, on call either. We don't have our social services limited. Our child protective service was limited. 
you know, we had limited services. So for us, we were everything. We did everything. So I went in there and did what I could for them. And I calmed them down and um, I helped them out. And I just told them, well, let us know. Call again if anything happens. And this is the first time in my whole career <laughs> I left that scene. I went outside, got in my car, got my unit. And I sat there. I called in, told the dispatcher I was code for. And everything was go over the disposition. And then I just broke down mm. and I cried. I just sat there and I cried. I don't know how long. And I'm just like, God, what's wrong with me? How did I make it through that? How did I help those people? And here I am. I'm sitting in front of their house, in front of this these people's house that I was just in there helping. And I'm sitting out here crying my eyes out. What's wrong with me? <laughs> How, how? You're human. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, how do I deal with this? And I got tired of it. I got tired of being, carrying that heaviness around. I got tired and I just got to a point that like you were saying that I didn't care. Mm. I didn't care how I treated people. I didn't care how, how I sounded. I didn't care. Honestly, that was the first time. And it was like, wow, what is this? This isn't right. So I finally went to Medicine Man. And this is something that is really going to shock your viewers and your viewers might be like, no way, you know, this is this is out, out there. This is, you know, Twilight Zone stuff. But this is something I carry with me because it freaks me out too. So I go to Medicine Man because I just could not take it. And th those are my counselors. I never really went to counseling, but they were mine. And he had a prayer for me and he looked into the fire and the crystals and whatnot. And I told him what happened with that lady, the one that got killed by her husband. And I was telling him how I was feeling and how I was carrying on this heaviness. And I just didn't care. And it was just really dark, a dark time for me. And this really, really blew my mind, but it made sense. And he told me, he says, you know what? He says, when you went to check that lady's pulse, he goes, even if you had those gloves on, even though you had your gloves on, he says, when you went to check her pulse, she was dying. Mm -hmm. And what happened was she transferred that feeling of her dying transferred to you. Yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> that believe just, that. it makes sense. Well, there's, there's, a, there's so many things. Like when you were saying it, I was like, there's so many things because that was after you got a divorce. It was, yes. it was, you know, you were, you were out, back on your own. It was a domestic yeah. incident. The transfer happened when you touched her, but then you also have the whole thing of, the reason you left your ex was because you felt you were an inch off of yeah. being her. Mm -hmm. yep. So as soon as, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is because as law enforcement, we get extremely, and tell me, Fran, if this was you back in the, you know, the nineties, early two thousands, you get extremely mm -hmm. good at compartmentalizing your stuff and thinking it will go away. Yes. You put it on a box, you put it on the shelf in your brain, and you go, it will stay there. Do not yeah. come out. 
and then it starts to rot and it starts to go everywhere through everything yes. and then all of a sudden <laughs> you start exploding you start not caring about things you start you know being a person that you aren't actually and then you have where you just break down for no reason and then you feel bad about it because you're like why is this happening and that's probably where the last 10 years what 15 years that was how you know, 15 years of law enforcement that was after 15 years of law enforcement yeah was mine like, was after wow. five yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 And, and, and so, you know, it's, it's this, it's this interesting thing because we all, every law enforcement officer that I know has ended up in it in some stage or not different severity levels. So we're mm -hmm. not, we're not, it's not like we're special. There isn't one of us that's mm -hmm. more special than the other. And it's, we react to different things because of different pasts you know you had a family you had family that was not you know your parents were you know they drank and they you had all that kind of stuff and then it, things happen to you and now your kids have stuff and hopefully they've learned from your mistakes and the, uh, it sounds like you've had conversations with them around things oh. so this is the whole importance of this podcast is to show other officers and even civilians that i don't like to use the phrase because it really actually grinds my gears that it's okay to not be okay because it's like it's mm -hmm. said so much, but it is true. It's okay yeah. to talk about it. It's okay to actually teach, you know, fellow officers or friends or communicate what's going on so that they understand it's okay to feel. Yeah. You know, it's okay to yep. feel because as officers, we get really good at not feeling because when you are in that, when you're in that incident, in that job with yeah. you know, that family, that family, before you went outside and started crying and you were in there and she was suicidal and that, well, you couldn't exactly start bawling your eyes out. I mean, no. there's, a, there's sometimes <laughs> where you did it, but you can't in the moment, you can't do it. You know, when things are calm, maybe a few little tears, but you can't just, it just can't unload. And so we yeah. do we have to get good at compartmentalizing it, but we got to open that box back up and actually go, oh, what's inside here? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like yes. it, but what's inside here? <laughs> what's the gremlin in here today? <laughs> and yeah. you know, so and how do you yeah. feel since going through all of this and, you know, actually, you know, and, and then becoming a lieutenant and leading more people beyond sergeant? And in the world of, you know, back then being the only female, I believe you said, you know, lieutenant how did how did you help once you were a lieutenant how did you help fellow officers not end up where you did me as a supervisor when i became a sergeant that was when i got my divorce and i was single back again and i had three boys and i had a, a more um i guess openness and um kindness to what other people are going going through because of what I went through with all the things that I went through and I didn't want them to go through it I didn't want and if they did I wanted them to know that I was there to help them that it was that encouraged them and to give them um motivation to keep going every day so what I would do was um because it helped me too to help others and to be a supervisor and lead people because I feel leadership is vital. Proper leadership is vital 
supportive leadership, coaching, mentoring, listening to your people. So what I would do with my crew, if we work midnight, if we work day shift, it, it didn't happen very much during swing shift, but I would take them out to eat. I would buy, I would pay for it. I would take them to breakfast. I would take them to lunch or I'd buy lunch for them. You know, or I would just sit and talk to them, encourage them. If you enjoy training, go find something that, do something other than just police work. But if you just wanna be a patrol officer, then be a good one, be successful at it. If you wanna be a sergeant, learn how to be a leader. You know, go back to school, educate. I always encourage them to do more than what they they do and did. And I was like that with my children. I was able to spend more time with my kids. Um, I sent my oldest son to a private school. My two younger boys were in public school. I was able to be there for them. But at the same time, I was a single mom. You know, and being a single mom is... is um, challenging it really is but you know I just had a thought too and I've been thinking about this since um wanted to do your podcast for you is one thing that I didn't ever do and my parents they stopped drinking when I was 13 because we lost our oldest brother um from drinking and driving and, and he died in an accident so they stopped drinking when I was 13 so I didn't grow up that way but I did have fun in college I did do my 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 um stuff like that in college, but when I became a police officer, I never drank oh. through my whole career. All the stuff that I did, all the stuff I didn't ever turn to alcohol. What I turned to was cussing. As <laughs> a lot of cops do. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't ever turn to alcohol. I didn't ever turn to drugs, smoking. That just and then what really helped me again was my my prayers because every year. I have what we call the protection prayer. And so I would go to the medicine man and he would um, do a protection prayer over me and my uniform and my tools, my tool belt, my gun, my badge, everything. So that way it would help me to get through whatever was coming up. So that's what helped me. And then teaching, te teaching at the academy, doing the D.A.R.E. program, um, I taught the D.A.R.E. program in one school district for 13 years. Wow. And I was, I had students that came to me after I retired. I reconnected with some of them and they told me, Officer Bradley, if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for you. So that's what kept me going. And I, and I wanted to be positive and, and also let them know that you have a duty, you have a responsibility to do the right thing. And if you really, really, really honor that, then you'll be okay. Yeah. You know, you'll be okay. And so it's been, it's been a ride. It's been a ride. And I also didn't talk about, I'll, I'll give you another thing to think about through my career. We had, let's see, three officers, two officers, three officers, three officers. I'm trying to remember, but a total of five officers that I worked with, we lost them. One was to, one was murdered. He was shot um, 
responded to a man with a weapon. One sergeant, the sergeant that supported me for my D.A.R.E. program was really cool. He killed himself and he was, he just retired. He just retired from his career and he ended up um, killing himself. But two officers died in um, car accidents and then another one got killed too. He got murdered. And I was personally, I knew all these people personally. So I had like five officers that I worked with that, you know, aren't here no more. And I wonder that too. How did you get through all that? How did you do that? <laughs> How do you do that? And that's where I go back to my faith. That's where I go back to my family. That's where I go back to my brothers and my sisters and law enforcement. And that's where I go back to just me being me mm. and realizing that, wow, you had a, you had an awesome career, no matter what. Yep. It's so true. It's so true. You know, it's, it, it, we're all the same. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, like law enforcement all go through very similar things and it's not to, you know, put things down at all, but it's also, it's to bring it up to be like, Hey guys, let's all support each other. Let's also learn from each yes. other. Let's listen to each other, no matter what level of stress or things you've been to mm -hmm. or dealt with we all react to it exactly the same way yeah so we can learn yep. from that so you know on that closing out last question i always like to ask friend and so i'm gonna ask it what would you say now after being retired for 14 years doing 20 odd years you know 20 plus years in law enforcement helping out the community so much even afterwards which i know we didn't talk about so much stuff we could go on for hours on 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 things but <laughs> What yes. is it that you would say is your top tip to self-happiness after experiencing all that? Wow. Um, retiring. Retiring. Seriously. Okay. Top tip is to retire. <laughs> but no, it, it was tough. It was tough. But I, it, gosh, that's hard to say. What's one of a big tip? Um, I think what the biggest thing was, you know what? One of the biggest tips I got when I retired was from my big sister. Mm -hmm. And she told me, let go of control. Stop being so controlling. Don't be controlling. Just learn how not to be in control all the time. That is a good and tip. To self-happiness and not being in control <laughs> because when you're trying to be in control, you're never happy, are you? Yeah. And I thought, what? When she said that to me, I was like, what? What is she talking about? She's, you know, like, she's crazy to say that to me. But, um, and then, you know, when, uh, and when you become an officer, they talk to you about adrenaline, adrenaline rush. And that's what will make you or break you, adrenaline. And after 20 years of an adrenaline high, it took me five years to come off of it. And then I thought about what my sister said. Don't try to control everything. Let go. And that was probably the best tip I, I could have ever gotten because she was right. Let go and don't try to control everything. And so when I started to 
teach myself that and tell myself that. As I got remarried 16 years ago to a wonderful man who puts up with me <laughs> and supported me in my career. He was there when I got promoted to lieutenant and he's been there for me ever since that I had to learn to do that, not to be so controlling and let go. And that's what has really helped me is, is to let go. There's some days that I'm like, but I think, no, 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 let it go. Let it go. It's, they're human everybody's it's such human. a good tip it's such a good tip especially for law enforcement we, we love to be in control don't we like and half the time we're not in control at all yeah uh, yep. yeah not oh, and I, especially nowadays especially yeah. nowadays even yeah. less control even less control yeah. with the mm-hmm. phones and the social like with the, the command staff with the pol- political stuff and you got yes. no control at all about anything. The only thing you have control yeah. over is your own control over is. Yes. What did they say? Everything that's in right here. Yeah. That's all you have control. Yep. Anything, anything that's within right your here. reach. Anything that you're yep. actually that you can actually touch with your <laughs> fingertips. It's so true. It's so true. Uh-huh. Well, friend, thank you so much for today. There's been so many good insights. Thank you for being so vulnerable, so open. Um appreciate you getting emotional as well you know it's 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 good to see and authentic uh any last words that you'd like to say to viewers to myself to anybody listening i am um, i've enjoyed retirement it has been tough working with civilians it, it, it is a different monkey <laughs> and i love i love helping other people and what I've been working on for the past couple of years is starting my own business yes. on motivational speaking, yeah. motivational speaking and telling people that it's okay. It's just like you're saying, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be who you are, but don't stay there. If you're hurting, if you're, you know, thinking bad thoughts, you know, or if you think that the wheels just turning and you're not going anywhere, that's not true. It's up to you. It's up to you to do what you want to do. And I've been scared at times to think, like last year, I'm thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can open my own business. I don't know how this is going to work. But the last two years, I've been working for my tribe, back, working with my tribe and the things I've learned. I want, I want my, I want control <laughs> over my life. And yep. what I do and where I go and what I what I am. So so I registered my business. I gotta do the little stuff. I already have my business plan. So I want to do motivational speaking. And I want people to know and, and it has grown, like you said, where there's more women in law enforcement. Yeah. But it's a different it's different for a woman in law enforcement than it is for a man. Very much so. It really is. It really is. So and I want to encourage people to, yeah. Be a police officer if, you, if that's something you're looking at or do what, as my mom used to say, no matter what you do in life, be successful at it. Yeah. Even if it's being a housewife, even if it's being a house husband, even if it's being a single mom. Back then, she was saying, you know, back times are different back then. So, but she always used to say, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. Just be successful at it. So that's what I want to share. That's, what oh, I that's want awesome. To do. That's awesome. How do, uh, friend? How do people get in touch with you if they want? If they listen to this and they're like, "Hey, we want to hear, we want to hear more, we want to talk to you." How, how? What's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? 
probably through my email. I can give you my phone number. You can put it on there, but my email is probably best. Yeah. My email is F Bradley Arthur. Real easy <laughs> at gmail.com. And that's what I want to do. I just, I want to go out there and just, you never, when you're a cop, when you decide to become a cop, what did they say? Why do you want to be a police officer? Yep. And then the cliche answer is because I want to help others. Yeah, I want to help people. Though, um, but even if it's cliche, it's true. It is. And true. You never stop. You never stop wanting to help others, just like what you do. Yeah. What you're doing. You're doing it right now, friend. So you're you're helping lots of people. I love it. Um, awesome, friend. Well, I want to say thank you very much again for being here for telling yes. us everything. Everybody, if you want to get in touch with Fran, just that's fbradleyarthur at gmail.com. We'll put it in the show notes down below. Uh, I'll also link your LinkedIn uh, down below as well so people can message you through there in okay. case Gmail bounce because I know, yeah. G- I know Gmail can sometimes have issues of getting yes. through and emails sometimes go to cyberspace. Uh, yes. So- uh, again, oh. thank you, Fran. Thanks for everything that you're doing. One day, hopefully, when I'm back in Arizona, we can meet up and ha- and, and in person uh, and and have a conversation. But till next time, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Remember, I as I said well, in the beginning, yeah, go go, Fran. I just want to say a hat. Thank you very much too. I enjoyed this. Um, and if you if you need proof, I was in police in police work. I can send you a picture. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome maybe we, maybe we should use that photo for the uh for the for the for the um the cover the cover the cover photo for the for this um, oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but we'll talk about that and we'll talk about that afterwards for everybody listening okay. thank you for watching thank you for listening thank you for getting this far make sure you like subscribe share this with somebody if there's somebody in law enforcement that you know that could benefit from listening to this or somebody that's even a civilian please send it to them share it to them The most important thing, though, is to take action. We overestimate Mm -hmm. what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in 10. By taking action on one thing, going off and doing it for 90 days, actually making it a habit, you'll be further along in a year's time than you ever thought possible. You'll be exponentially further in 10 than you ever thought possible. So please just take and just put something that you learned today. Whatever it was that hit you the most, take it and put it in action. Be vigilant on it. Stay focused on it. If you want to get in touch with us, it's create from why that's W H Y create from why at gmail.com. And you can send us an email or you can go to create from and we will make sure. And there's all the information on different ways that we can work with you and make sure that you have the best law enforcement career possible till next time. Thank you very much. Thank you again, Fran. And we will see you guys on the next episode. Train hard, test easy.